producer, dude, we have a man that needs no introduction, mainly because he's been on our podcast multiple times. Some people call him Dr. Sonar. You know him as Bruce Sampson. Yeah. What do you, what do you feel when, when Bruce comes on? You know, he's kind of, he he's he's slow and methodical, but like, even though you don't fish, like you got to listen to because you just feel like this guy's an authority. Like you don't even, you know, but you don't know, right? Yeah, he takes a real uh, scientific approach, kind of like some of the, you know, we've had other scientists, actual scientists. He's a doctor, like an actual doctor, right? Medical doctor. So he's yep. very into the the science behind it. He has his, you know, whole line of uh, of DVDs and videos teaching people how to use sonar. So so he's in, he's uh, definitely invested in the technology. We'll put it that way. I've been fishing with Bruce for more than 25 years, and I can tell you he always he marches to his own beat and does things differently, and that's probably why he's won so much. I don't think anyone's won as many major tournaments as he has, even to this date, um, and he's right up there for all-time money winner, if not still you know, that title, but crazy. We need to bring him in, uh, and we're going to talk about some live sonar stuff. That's the elephant in the room right now with a marine electronics. If you're not talking about live sonar, you're getting left behind. So I'm sure he has some opinions on that. And then we always like to kind of goose in there with some just life stuff. And he loves talking about minnows, if you remember that. Yeah. Doesn't he like catch and raise his own? He has like a minnow farm or something. I don't know. It's Dude, his, the amount of time and money he puts into minnows is yeah, insane. Yeah, keeping them alive. Insane. Bruce Sampson, welcome to the Big Water Podcast. Now, you've been here before, so you might have known better to do it again. <laughs> you are correct. <laughs> he's been here twice. Twice? He's a, this I is, think so he's this a third-timer now. Yeah. Is, oh, three times, not a charm. Three times is not a charm. I mean, the funny thing is, is when you think of, of Bruce here, you always think of electronics, right? Dr. Sonar, that's kind of what you built your career on post uh, post medicine stuff, if you will. But I think the funny thing to me is, is our conversations that have nothing to do with electronics, like minnows, for example, as we were just talking about, like, I feel like this needs to be on record. What is your infatuation with minnows? Um, if you get the right minnows, they make you look good, you know, and uh, do you catch more fish, you catch bigger fish. And it, it's just the bait. You know, oh. I, I do I do get it, I guess. We had Larry Dahlberg on here, who doesn't live too far from you. And he talked about the difference between using creek chubs, I think it was. And it wasn't even in Minnesota, I think, where he was using them. But it, for smallmouth and the creek chubs that were farm penned or whatever, you could, they weren't catching any fish on. And he said it was because you needed the wild minnows. The ones that you know knew to get out of the way of a smallmouth, and that's what they were catching all their fish on. So is that kind of the same thing, or is it just fresh bait or having bait nobody can get? It's fresh. Okay, so it's the size of the minnow is is what's what's what they want. But minnows that don't kick and move don't work as well. It's as simple as this: the guy who's catching the most fish when you're chub fishing is the guy that's putting on the fresh minnow each time. And so that if you drag it around for a while, it, it isn't as active. And so if you catch a minnow, you always got a fresh one on. We all, we, a lot of us have learned that. Another thing is, is if the minnow has been bit and still looks good, it doesn't work as well. 
Right. Whatever reason, it doesn't matter. You just, you just, uh, it, it's, all, it, it, it's hard to put another one on because if you buy them, if you buy big creek chubs and red tails, it's two bucks. <laughs> so, you know, people are thrifty. I catch my own, so I don't have to be thrifty. So, like, how long would you leave one on before it's tired, if you will, um, when you're live bait rigging, I'm assuming, with these? Just pull it out of the water and put them on the surface of the water, and he'll tell you. You want him fighting for, you want him fighting for his life, literally? You, you know, you could, it, it's one of the things, they also can tell you when there's fish around. They tell you before you get a bite. So you're, you're pulling a minnow along, and he does nothing. And then... All of a sudden, you feel this little flutter down there. That tells you that something is bothering that minnow. And the next thing you know, there's nothing going on because the minnow's in his mouth. Interesting. Well, I mean, the amount of time that guys like us, I don't think this is what a lot of people understand. The amount of time that we spend working on gear or systems, you know, it's probably more than most people time, you know, spend in a boat. But even like how you keep track of these, because I can remember being at your place up there and you had a whole system because once you, you know, you, you've got to keep these things alive. Like most people go buy a, you know, bucket of minnows and they barely get through the day with them and they're, they're moving on. But like to even keep, I'm infatuated with this, but what do you do to even keep those minnows? Like explain your system that I know you have. Okay. Well, I've done it for years, you know, and I basically only use them in the fall because I could keep the water cold. If you don't keep the water cold, the minnows do poorly. Number one, they're, they're, they're cold-blooded, so they need food when the water's warm, and they shrink. You can feed them. You can feed chubs um, small fatheads, you know, crappie minnows. They eat them up like candy. But then your tank gets fouled up because what do they do? They shit in the tank. <laughs> and so there's, there's pieces of crappie minnows all over the place. And that follows the water, and then you got to change the water more often. But if you keep the water cold, metabolism slows down, and they're way happier. They don't get diseases. It's like a refrigerator. You don't get diseases. You don't get growth of things in the fridge because the water's cold. So you got to keep the water cold. I have a system that just at the base stores, those big green tanks with a with a what's called a chiller, basically like an air conditioner that cools the water. And so my water temperature is 51 degrees, and my minnows are really happy. Would you would you do you share minnows? Would you share minnows with me? Well, if it depends on nice you are that uh, for about two weeks before that. <laughs> it's probably not getting any minnows then. <laughs> but I mean, so you're you're actually I know you don't want to go into details on this, but you're actually physically catching these chubs whatever you want to call them red tails yeah. i that's what i i always can, can you give us a can you give us a little bit just a little bit of a sneak peek on how you're doing this well i learned how as a kid when i grew up there was nothing but a little a little um river that grew to uh that went through my town so the people that like fishing would go down there and what i would catch was creek chubs river shiners and um, white suckers, you know, and then it was a contest of who could get the biggest one. But 
but you get, you know, you learn how to catch them. And basically it's just, a, you know, I learned with a piece of worm and a hook. You threw it out there, let it lay on the bottom, line starts moving, set the hook. And so the funny thing is, is the biggest tournament I won with the most money was with those same minnows that I, I used, that I caught as a kid. At that time I was buying them. You know, uh, it, it, they're hard to buy now because a lot of creeks have invasive species in them and they, the, the minnow dealers can't go into those creeks and get the minnows. But, uh, a, couple, a couple bucks a piece for these, huh? Well, you know, 18 to 24 bucks. Uh, it depends on, uh, you know, I haven't, I haven't gone shopping for them for a long time <laughs> because <laughs> I just, uh, like, when I go shopping for them, I go driving you know, to look at different creeks. You know, I, I may I may spend an hour, you know, driving away from my place to look for places to get minnow. So once you get these things and you put them in your truck, you just use a small aerator until you can get them home and get them in your chilled system or? That angle cooler, you know, you know, everybody, uh, most guys that have minnows have it, you know, and what I do is I, um, I, uh, I drill another hole in so that I have two aerators because I'm always worried that one aerator may fail on the way home. If you try to manage minnows, you're going to kill them sooner or later. You're going to make a mistake. Something gets unplugged and they die. You're very oxygen sensitive. Red tails are much more oxygen sensitive than creek chubs. So, and shiners are, are more than uh, red tails. So they die. You know, so if, if you don't get the, the bubbler isn't working, um, the shiners die first in the creek, but then the uh, red tails and what's left is uh, creek chubs. So how big of, is this like walleyes now though? With, I mean, cause like emerald shiners is our primary deal here on Erie and you know that you, they can die just looking at them type of thing, especially like you said, when it gets warm, how big of a cooler, how many can you put in there? Cause like, just like a live well, you know, they can be, walleyes can be amazingly lively. And then you put a couple too many in there and it's just not enough water. Uh, you know, for them to go around. Yeah, it's um, as long as you're aerating them, they're happy. I mean, I, you, you, you know, you, you can't have more than 12 dozen in Minnesota if for a private individual, unless you're commercial, which is plenty of minnows. I mean, if you got 144 minnows, it takes a while. You know, that's, that's a lot. I don't think I've ever put 112 dozen into one cooler. But I've had the cooler where it's like black at the bottom. And as long as you're aerating them, they're fine. You get home and you open up the cooler if you're aerating well, they want they're trying to jump out. They're that they're that healthy. So I realize people are probably like, why are you going on and on about these minnows? But how much money do you think you've won on minnows through the years? Well, you know, I won that big tournament for three hundred thousand and that was on on any, 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 it was it was creek chubs and red tails. It was just that they wanted a bigger minnow. But let's see, I won uh, a couple on Leech Lake um, using minnows. Uh, it's just you know you got to have the right place. You know they don't work for every place. I mean, I even got a bunch of them when I went to Lake Erie. So I was going to pull spinners and minnows for suspended walleyes, thinking maybe I could get bigger walleyes doing that. And guess what? Nightcrawlers beat those minnows hands down it just did not work at all you know remember dave hansen did that too he brought some big i mean he had all kinds of different minnows red tails shiners just 
all kinds of things, trying them on a live bait rig and crazy, you know, it's crazy. I use them a lot for smallmouth too. Smallmouth love chub. I mean, they, 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 they won't even let go of them. You know, you could, I, I used to test it to see how much I could pull up with them, have a little tug of war before setting the hook. Yeah, they won't let go. <laughs> Uh, well, that's enough on minnows. I mean, you know, I'm 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 fascinated by these things, and, and and even just as much the behind the scenes things that you would take the time and money and set up to get a chiller for minnows. Like I get it, but I don't think a lot of people understand that, you know, the, the preparation and and the setup that some guys that are highly successful, uh, you know, do this. But any rate, you know, one of the reasons we want to have you back on, because you have been here many times. So if you guys like electronic stuff, make sure you check back. And I'm sure producer dude put some links up there of some of the other podcasts we've done with Bruce. And you can find all over the place and on YouTube too. But uh, forward-facing sonar, you know, that that's the, it's not even the elephant in the room. That's the, uh, the, the car in your living room. Like that's what everybody is talking about. It, on the Bass Tour right now, um, you know, there's these, People saying should it be banned? There's the walleye world. It's 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 just a really highly successful thing, and it's I'd like to hear some of your impressions, and I'll give you some of mine on this because I know you've been doing this as long as anybody, but yet you kind of got away from it a little bit too, didn't you? Well, I I missed the boat, okay, um, but I'm in, I'm in the boat now. <laughs> I uh, when I when the first pan optics. Came out. There was the um, uh, Garmin. came out with the first one. Okay, and it was. It didn't have the resolution, so I used it, and I couldn't see the walleyes close to the bottom because I'm basically, you know, I like fishing walleyes, and so I just kind of gave up on it. I actually had it on a. I had um, Steve Bowman owns Vexlar and has uh, the motor clinic which repairs uh, trolling motors. He put a. Uh, he took a trolling motor with a remote on it and put a pole on it so I could put that panoptics on a on a old trolling motor and, and turn it wherever I want it. And I tested it, it worked. The problem with me is I have ADD, so I drive away with the damn thing down all the time. I tried it I tried it in the front of the boat, I tried it in the back of the boat, and it's like this kind of works, but it didn't work for me. So I kind of gave up on it except for I had one transducer that looked down, and it was, you know, it was really good. It's called a PS30. It, I still have it on the boat and use it. And I, I missed the boat, okay, because they kept now the three companies make higher resolution forward uh, sonar, and and I, I I've been in a boat with somebody that has an Altrex, which is a pedal that you can control. You know, I use a, I, one. Yep. I, use, I mean, an, uh, yeah, I use an Altera, which is a, you know, it's not, it's not made for forward looking. Uh, sonar. You have an Altera on your boat right now? I've had it for, I don't know, I've had like four different models of them. And uh, well, I, you, you used, to, you used to have the pedal or the uh, cable drive, the Altrex. Yeah. Like, like I never had an Altrex. I went directly from, uh, from, uh, or... Yeah, I went to yeah, but anyway, it's uh, it just doesn't work, you know. And you know, I used to live on the front of the boat, um, running the pedal because it's really good boat control. And but anyway, so now you know, I've been using it on a pole 
and it works on a pole right next to me, you know, and I, uh, and I have a, it's a, it's a Bruce city mount. So if I drive away, you know, it doesn't uh, wreck anything. It just tilts up and I, and nothing gets, nothing gets damaged. But so I've been using that, but I started fishing with a guy that has it on an Ultrek and I, I, I'm, Right away, I realized I missed this. So next year, I will have a cable steer type motor. You know, I know they're wireless that they work too, but I'll have something like that because you you can fish hands free. That when you have it on a pole, you can't control it while you're doing your retrieve. And if you have a foot pedal, you could control that uh, where the where the beam is aimed, and it's a narrow beam. So you can target the fish. You on the you know that it, on the graph that it's 30 feet away. You know where your trolling motor is aimed, and all you do is cast 35 feet, have the lure drop down, and you can target individual fish. Which is what I've been when I grew up fishing individual fish, looking down at them. I mean, I used to throw a buoy out. And uh, so I knew exactly where the fish were. Anyway, so this is a, uh, this is really valuable. And you're not spooking the fish. You know, you're fishing them in front of the boat. I think that the thing is, is I is as popular as this is, I still think that there's, and I don't really understand it. There's a rigging issue, like you you kind of brought up, because what you're saying is maybe different than some of the stuff that I know. And it's not that you're right or wrong, or I am it's, it's the situation. So a lot of guys don't want them on their trolling motor because if they're using spot lock, they don't want that thing going all over the place as that motor holds them in a given area. And then they're trying to fish, you know, a boulders or a wreck or whatever that would be. And so they do want the pole, you know, Minn Kota or hummingbird now have something called target lock, which is a separate pole that's motorized that goes on that cable steer since you're right. Most people seem to to like cable steer, and I'm still mind blown that I can't remember when you switched over to a uh, electric steer. But because when we were fishing together back in the day, I remember you had a I want to say it was a Minn Kota Maxim back in the day. Yeah, one of those. But but it was a it was a cable drive, you know, Minn Kota nevertheless. But and again, that's why I think now there's some of these guys are running poles in the back, or they're running you know portable units like an ice fishing pack, so they can move it from left to right or. Um, it, it just seems like the versatility is an issue. I'm kind of surprised that the big three electronic manufacturers all haven't done a little more for the mounting options. You know, like you said, the Bruce City, there's a half a dozen different manufacturers and dozens than garages. You know, they're making some type of pole system. And it just seems like none of them are the thing. Like there's a couple that are definitely better, generally speaking, right? But that there's not a really good setup yet. Well, I agree with you. You know, you, you, it, if you just put it on the trolling motor, you're you're losing some function. So I'm going to have both. I am going to have a pole mount, plus I'll have one on the trolling motor. And so because I use spot lock a lot, and that way I can still scan around the boat and be on spot lock. You know, I mean, um, I have not used that. Um, target lock and I have not seen it in use so I have uh, that I'm not sure of yet but I like the the way I'm going to do it I'm going to have a portable mount um, and I can move it around the boat uh, my Crestliner has a rail and I have it mounted on a 
they have downrigger um, accessories that you can put it on, and I could put it, I could move it to anywhere on the rail, and I, because I, I like, you know, because when I'm facing forward, I want that, I want to see it in front of me, and when I'm fishing behind the boat, I want it in the back of the boat, so I just move it around, and then I'll have it on the front too, because I love the idea of targeting individual fish. So, backing up a second like i've seen there was actually this whatever you want to call it live sonar you know mega live or whatever that this has been banned in a couple of little musky circuits because there was a guy who had five of them on his boat and he would just kind of go along and he wasn't even making a cast until he saw an individual fish kind of like you're saying right and obviously mm -hmm. with musky fishing it's not a deal where you need to catch a hundred fish like you would crappies or something and this guy was just blowing the field out. He's catching more fish than the entire field, right? Because obviously some of those tournaments, if you catch two fish, you're, you're definitely going to win. But so my, my thought on that is, is why I don't care about muskies and a bunch of the walleye guys that I know all have, like I said, individual ice packs. So they're moving around the boat or they take them out or just from a wiring situation. But I start thinking about this kind of backwards reverse engineering. I'm like, We've got three guys running sonar in the boat. We don't have an issue. Now, if with 2D, we would have an issue, right? Like, we got too much. So, when you said a narrow beam, I think of, like, down imaging as having some of the best um, interpretation. So, is this almost like a directional down imaging? Similar. Very similar. You know, you know basically, so, think of it more like the side scan beam. You know, it's aimed off to the side. And... Um, it's um, it's it's, it's amazing. <laughs> um, now, so, I don't you know the musky thing is you know I talked to the musky. I just got back from Vermilion Dan Lodge. You know we, I did my last walleye school, and you know I talked to the musky guys up there. The good musky fishermen, they don't they, they look for the for a musky before they cast, and they tell their customers where to cast. But you know, that's different. A muskie is a lot easier to see than a walleye. They're huge. They suspend, right. you know? It's, uh, and um, so having, I could see having all these on the boat, it's like, but who's looking at them? You know, <laughs> I got so many screens now that I get, you know, do I look at the down imaging? Do I look at the 2D sonar? Do I look at the map? Do I look at the side scan? Or do I look at the live scope? It's it's overwhelming, you know. So you got to kind of pick and stay with that. So is the is the narrow beam point blank? Is is the narrow beam that you mentioned why you can run multiple units and we all not have a problem? Yeah, you you might get to, you know if they cross each other. I get uh, you know if I take my um, pole mount and I turn it, I want to look behind the boat, you know, I start picking up the sonar from the back of the boat, you know, I get, it called, I call it crosstalk, people call it interference, but there's different types of interference. This is crosstalk means that your, your two sonars, you're picking up the other sonar return. And I haven't found it to be an issue for me for interpretation. It may make my screen not look as good, but I, I could still interpret it. And so I don't think that is a problem, you know. And besides that, you can aim them out, like you say, because it's narrow. You don't have to be crossing each other. 
Right. So is there anything that you've learned? Like, you know, Hummingbird that I use is kind of nice because it's basically you plug the transducer and you don't need a separate black box, you know, wired up and that like you do uh, a couple of the other manufacturers. But is there anything with rigging that you've noticed that maybe is something people are doing wrong? Like with my stuff, I know Hummingbird, you want to put it into a uh, network box because once that transducer knows that there's other things going on, then it helps eliminate some of the problems as far as, like you said, crosstalk and things, um, mm -hmm. you know, because it knows who's all there, basically, in, in, in layman's terms. Is there anything with rigging and not necessarily, you know, manufacturer specific, but that you could say, like, hey, if somebody's having a problem, it's boom, boom, boom. This is what you need to think about or do, or maybe you don't have set up properly. I think, you know, the most more common question that people have is how, how, how to mount it and, and how much angle to have. You know, am I, am I looking down too much? Or am I looking up too much? And what I found by putting it on a pole, you can put it on a pole and all you got to do is turn the pole and you can kind of see what you see by angling the pole. That changes the degree and you can, and then you can just decide on how you want to do it. It's better. I think I like that better than anything. The eyeball method, I call it. And well, yeah, even the, the upper down is as you will like yeah that's i think what you're talking about have you like where are you at with that like that 45 to 60 i mean mm -hmm. obviously if you're bottom fishing versus suspended you're probably going to want it up or down a little bit yeah. but do you notice any distortion because of that you know the only distortion i see is when you look out far you know farther away you get they and they don't they become not like little dots they become more vertical and um but I haven't seen I haven't seen that as a problem. I mean, I think the main problem more people have is cut cables. <laughs> well, they're, you know, they put them on the trolling motor, and they they have they have people now that they've found a niche. Their job is to repair the cables that people <laughs> tear up. No kidding. Yeah, yeah. You can, you know, yeah. They have uh, there's guys that repair them. They they're on Facebook. You know, they like to show. Oh, here's another one. I mean, what are they doing? Just like putting butt splices, heat shrink on those things and taping them well, up? Or? You know, if, um, you know, if you've got it on a scissor mount and that cable gets in there, you can cut it. You know, I've been mounting, you know, I used to have transducers on like the four tracks of the max of years ago. And, you know, you had to make sure that, you know, you don't clip them. I never clipped one, but, um, they also can get it if you get on a uh, if you get it on a spot lock where it wants to spin, <laughs> it can it can spin and rip your cables too. But uh, but I apparently there's a lot of guys doing it because there's more than one guy doing the repair. Oh, it's super easy to do. I, I definitely I know many people that have done it. I put uh, I went to that uh, TH Marines got something I think they call it the jacket. It's basically a neoprene deal with a piece of Velcro and it's, you know, four feet long. You can trim it to length. And I think it's a strength in numbers things. I have so many wires in there from the live sonar to the regular sonar to the 360 even that I have on there. Um, it's just, it's so big that it's much more difficult to not knowingly get things caught. Sure. Yeah, that would make sense. Are you still messing with 360 much? Uh, you know, put I, I always I've been trying to figure out how to mount 360. I haven't got it yet. Um, well, and I'm, I'm going to make it really easy. 
<laughs> and I'm sitting there, Donnie Candle goes, well, why don't you just put it on your pole with your, uh, you know, I have, a, I have an active target on the pole. And he said, why don't you just put it on the pole? And I go, bingo. <laughs> so, um, so I will have Mega 360 next year. Yeah, I mean, that seems like a no-brainer for you. I mean, that to me, that's that helps you figure out where you need to put your live sonar. Yes. You know, if you have to make a 360 and you see the fish out there at 35 degrees, you just name your, your you name your live sonar at 35, watch the fish, figure out where you want to cast to. I, I get, you know, I get it all the time and probably people wouldn't think I do because, you know, 2D marking at speed is kind of my moneymaker. Like that's what I need to be really good at where I fish primarily. But it's the questions we get all the time, whether it's on our YouTube or social media stuff or whatever, is always people like, should I get this or should I get that? And I realize people have budgets and space and it really it comes down to money for most people like totally get that. But to me, it's kind of like if you want to be a mechanic, you can't say, do I get a screwdriver or do I get a wrench? Right. It should, should I get metric or standard wrenches? Well, you, you probably better have both if you plan on working on anything. Right. And I think that's the thing like with with the sonar stuff where. I mean, tell me how far off I am. You know, I use the 2D as the first thing. Like, that's my high speed to get me in the game. And, the, and then all of a sudden, we maybe we slow down with side imaging. We start seeing individual targets because I can do that side imaging at, let's say, two to five miles an hour. And then, you know, that 360 gets me when I'm in that general vicinity where we got boulders or structure of some type. And I can be like left side of the boat, 60 feet, you know, probably 80 feet accuracy or something. Hey, we're going to go over there. And then ultimately the final thing is actually the live sonar. I think that's one of the things that people are missing right now is, is they just buy live sonar and they think they're going to catch more fish, but you still have to get that transducer within 50 feet or so of fish to know that you can actually catch them. Right. So it's all these other steps leading up to that, I think is, is kind of being lost a little bit. Would you agree with that? I agree. The two most important screens for me is my Lake Master map and my 2D sonar. That's what oh, catches yeah. me the most fish. You know, and I, you know, and like you talk about high speed reading. Yeah, I don't think we can get that to the general public. <laughs> um, it's, you know, the, the average fisherman isn't going to get that. You know, oh, oh, we have tried. Producer, dude, have we tried? We have shot so many videos, and the questions and the rigging is just like, oh, my God, I think I'm giving up. It's, it's, you know, I use it all the time. It's one of the reasons I don't go fast is like I stay around 25 miles an hour when I go from spot to spot because I don't know how many times I've stopped because I saw fish where I didn't think they would be. And that's, you know, by looking at it. But the biggest problem is that people can't get their transducer mounted correctly so that they get that clear picture. You have to have, you have to have a really good mounting to get that picture. And, and I, you know, this is not a dig, well, it is a dig, I guess. If you have a riveted boat, you're not going to succeed at it. <laughs> you just can't, tough, get, man. you can't get crisp pictures. You can get high speed readings, but you can't get those crisp pictures that you get with fiberglass or weld. Because we got smooth bottoms, not a not a bunch of bumps at the back, and you know I it's um but seeing those fish, you know that's you know it's 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 amazing how much that helps that that driving and seeing the fish when you're on plane. 
I mean, I did that with a flasher on Lake Erie before they had any you know, of all the stuff. You know, no memory. You'd just drive until you saw these little blips suspended and mingle. That's Gary Roach and Dave Hansen. That's who taught me that whole thing. Well, like you said, with a flasher, but that was a lot more dangerous with, like you said, no memory or having to basically, you know, stare at things. So it's a, pretty much a two-man job and even difficult with that because it's driving the boat and then and then running that sonar. But yeah, I mean, the Lake Master is a great point. Have you seen the new VX? Um, a little bit, not, not a lot. I mean, just so much easier to see those transitions because of the built-in coloring. You know, you could always highlight before and, and still can with uh, with that now second gen, I guess it would be. But yeah, that Lake Master thing is so crazy. People, again, I, I know a lot of people have hummingbirds, if nothing else, just for that mapping. But even on Lake Erie, which people probably don't think of as a structure deal, like, you know, where you're from and, and do a lot of your fishing. But I can drill when I'm ice fishing a lot of my holes even though it's not a structure like maybe you would call structure. And I can be right on fish because they're more predictable areas because of that Lake Master. Oh, I use it all the time. You know, it's, uh, it's uh, that and auto chart are the main reason I have hummingbird in my boat. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, so anyway. Yeah. So you, like you just said, you know, and, and again, that's, I, I tell people this Bruce and the number of, and producer dude can back me up on this, the number of comments or private messages that we get, it's multiple per week. Hey, I watched your video, but you know, I've moved my transducer three times. So that's not it. And it's like, well, you can move it 23 times. If it's not in the right spot or you got other things going on, it's still not right. And, and that's an obvious rigging thing that people just, for whatever reason, don't seem to accept because I, I think they just don't want to put more holes in their boat, use a transducer board. But nevertheless, they just, they don't. Like, they move it and they're like, it, that's, it is what it is. And like you said, I can't get in their boat, you can't get in their boat, and we can't go market with sonar. You know, everyone wants settings. That's the one that hopefully if some of you guys are that uh, watch some of our stuff are listening to this. It's like, they always go, well, I need the settings because mine doesn't look like yours. And it's like... That's the fine, fine tuning, you know, adjusting some of those. But the transducer thing is if you don't have that for 2D sonar, you are up shit crick, no paddle, broken legs. What is that kind of thing with the live sonar? Like, what are some of the tweaks that guys could, you know, mistakes you're seeing that we could do differently or things we need to consider? Well, you know, each company has different ways of uh, changing it. Basically, you want to see more data on the screen because then the, the the targets are bigger. You know, you, you, I feel you like know. this is the tip of the tips coming up right here. Yeah, so if you click up, you know, make it, it's the same thing with regular sonar. Basically, you want to you want to have some clutter, and you want because you know the, the, it makes the targets bigger, and you can see out farther. You know whether it's sensitivity or contrast or what you know everybody has different and um that's all i do with it just uh it's cranking up i do the same thing with 2d sonar okay so basically i do nothing except adjust the sensitivity you know i might want it a little brighter it depends on the transducer you know but you know i might want it a little brighter i just up the sensitivity i don't monkey with much Health. It's not the settings. The default settings by these manufacturers, and I've used Garmin, Hummingbird, Raymarine, Lawrence, work. The default settings work really good. The most yeah, common the settings is that somebody's gone in and <laughs> screwed them up more than 
the default. And, you know, it's like I was in a boat up at the, the Wallach School at um, Vermilion. So they uh, wanted to know why, how to fix the, uh, the color. And I'm in there trying to fix it. I said, you know, something screwed up. Hit reset default, everything worked. <laughs> and they go, their eyes go, wow, that's it? Yeah. And I had another guy in another unit, a different manufacturer, same thing. Reset the defaults and everything worked again. That's that's another tip producer dude's going to cut out, I guarantee on that is we mess stuff up. There is no doubt. Guys just start hammering buttons. And I think the biggest thing is, is, you need to you need to remember, regardless of what manufacturer you have, the manufacturer like Hummingbird doesn't want you to have to hit a hundred buttons. That's why you have a default, and they know that most of the people aren't capable or going to know anyhow. So they always think they're going to kind of outsmart the situation. Where these things, generally speaking, are set up for everyone's best interest. Not that a little tweaking can't hurt, but most of us, um, that's probably like their PhD and they're still in high school. Like they're they're not to that point, right? I tell them, play around with it all you want, but knowing that you have a button that can fix it for you. If you if you don't like what it ends up, just hit the de reset default. People don't like to do that because they don't want to have to set reset their overlays and you know, all. But it's like just just use it when it isn't uh, if you screw it up. That's a super good tip. I think another tip would be if you're really that worried about it, write down what your settings are on all the things so that if you do have to result, reset the default that you can just go back through and not forget to change some of those things that you kind of like tweaking up. Cause I, I, again, me, you know, I'm fortunate that we get a new boat every year and, and that's great. Nobody wants to hear me complain, right? Like you did that for a long time, but when you've got to relearn and reset up and everything, it's kind of annoying and you know, you miss things. And I even have little cheat sheets of, of, you know, notes that I know. So I don't miss something and I can get everything back to, just how I like it. I hated rigging boats. <laughs> it is so difficult, so hard on your neck. Um, and, you know, running all those well, wires. Yeah, you're, you're a disaster because you're like, uh, you know, the Edison company with all those wires. I can remember being in your boats and there's just shit going everywhere. <laughs> you had, uh, well, you had too many units. You got too much stuff. And you're... Uh, I don't know. Maybe it's your, because you're ADD. I don't know. You just had stuff going all over the place. You know, yeah. And, you know, how many people have to, uh, would rig a autopilot to their kicker? And that requires a lot of wire, uh, running wires. You had to run a heading sensor to the front, to the front of the boat. Um, <laughs> the, the remote control. Um, it was, uh, it was tough. But anyway, it's, it's nice not to have to do it. I'm, I'm glad you have to do it every year. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, yeah it's, it gets worse and worse, especially with parts availability and things. But uh, I'm getting better and better at it. I'm actually a pretty good boat rigger at this point. We do a lot of tip videos and different things on that. We did our project boat series, our little 618. We had to gut that thing, uh, literally. But uh, nevertheless, kind of backing up with something you said quickly that I think is, is worth revisiting is, you know, when you said about spooking the fish. I mean, do you think that the live sonar, I mean, obviously there's multiple things and for different people and different species, it's going to be a different advantage, right? But is it spooking, not or not spooking the fish is what live sonar is so good at? Because I'm, I'm going to circle back with something else after you answer that. Okay. So I know of no 
scientific data that says that fish can feel or hear our sonar. I have none. They have data that they know that fish can't hear frequency, but I don't, you know, I don't, I don't know if that's hundred percent. But that they have data that says they can't hear the frequency. Fish are designed for low frequency, and low frequency isn't mean low frequency on our sonar, because that's still really high frequency to a fish. You know, they're just, you know, the what low frequency carries in the water better, so that's what they hear. Um, people that use live sonar, forward-looking sonar, all almost almost everyone I talk to believe that it scares the fish. You know, for mice fishing, they, you know, they put the pole in the water and they, they believe the fish move away. The only, I don't, I don't know that, you know, when, if you're in a boat and you're moving towards the fish and the fish move away, you don't know if it's the sonar or the boat, because we know the boat moves the fish away because you can drift over fish on clear water and watch them move away from you. You can see them in the water. And, you know, it's, I always say that certain fish spook different. I can remember drifting across a shallow reef and you get in a crystal clear lake and you could see these little white tails way far away, never got close to you. You could, the bass would come about half the way and, and they, they kind of stay away, but they weren't as afraid. The muskie would just swim underneath you and he didn't care. And um, so if we know that on clear lakes that you can, uh, you can fish over fish if it's really windy. You know, so big waves, fish are not scared by the boat as much. We know that when you're in rivers and current, you can fish right below the boat because the water's dark and there's current. They don't scare the fish. If the water's clear, you can't even see those fish. They're gone. So something about the boat scares them, you know, and you could say, is it visual? Is it the, is it the um, presence of this big, a thing in the water which creates sound is it the trolling motor um you know i know the boat does i, I believe the trolling motor does i can't prove that um the live scope i see fish move away but i don't know if it's the boat or the live scope and i'm and i'm not i ha i believe it's the boat because i don't have any any uh data to support that live scope is felt by the fish now, if somebody could prove that to me and show it to me that, you know, they put them in a tank and they blast them with the live scope at, at 30 feet away and the fish, you know, move away, um, you know, that's data. I, I don't have anything either other than I can tell you if you just think about things and it's not necessarily because somebody did it that it makes it right or wrong. Uh, back in the day, like some of those hardcore, like a Denny Brower type of guy that was you know, known for fishing shallow water, those guys would turn their sonar off because, you know, rather they're in two feet of water or three, it didn't matter, right? Like they're pitching the little shallow stuff. So they would turn their sonar off because they thought that they were, you know, getting more bites, not spooking. Rather that was in their head or not, who knows. But then the one thing that recently, there was a big name bass guy when I was at a media event, and he said that when, when the you know, live sonar first came out, he was catching like literally eight or eight out of 10 fish that he saw, like almost like picking them off. Now, when they say this, this is, you know, suspended fish, you know, fish out that you wouldn't normally know that are there. 
right? Like you're targeting a fish that you couldn't get a lure right in front of. Maybe you cut, made a cast and you just happened to, but now you're point blank on that fish. And it was like eight out of 10 of them. Hey, I can make that bite or I'll follow up with something else where he says now, and I've heard this from a lot of bass guys that it's, you know, have they learned this? Have they know there's something going on because that number is way, 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 way less like, you know, one or two now. And again, I don't have any in concrete information or throw any accusations, but it just seems like, do these fish become educated? You know, much in the same way, like a husky jerk on Lake Erie, 20 some years ago, well, husky jerk, it was like they would just hit him at will and not, you still catch plenty of fish on husky jerks now, but it's almost like when they come out with a new color, it's, it's weird that it's, do they condition themselves to a certain extent? Yeah, I've heard that lots of times in different lures and, you know, and, uh, and I've heard it with the live scope. I don't know. You know, I don't have enough data to make, to, uh, to uh, prove it. You know, it, it, uh, testimonials are not data for me. And, uh, you know, I think like a doc, you know, if you're going to do a study on humans, you have to do a really good study. And you can't, the testimonials are the worst data that you can use. That's the worst data. Right. Too many variables. Well, everybody just has this opinion, which is half cocked half the time. But the, the problem is, is so many of these, as you said, um, you know, the data and their studies is that there's so many variables. It's just very difficult then to even say, hey, this was the sonar beam or it wasn't the sonar beam because of other things coming. That's why I like expanding upon what you kind of went over there was, you know, I found the same thing when you're in really clean water in Lake Erie and it's flat calm, the fish are, you know, often in a different portion of the water column. I can watch them come up or down, you know, in that water column to chase fish up um, or, you know, your lures really. And then when we have it rough, it's those fish are probably more active, but I think that strike zone is smaller. Do you think it's just literally because of the light penetration and, you know, that they just quite frankly can't see quite as much? Yeah, I don't know. Um, you know, that's it. Yeah, you know, <laughs> I will. Um, here's something now. People, you know, when regular sonar first came out, people were worried that it scared them, like you said, Danny Bauer. But okay, so you got ten boats fishing, and a lot of sonar running, and they're over, they're over. Everybody sees fish, and then the fish disappear. Now, did they disappear because somebody was caught, and that disrupts the school? Did, did they disappear because they're in your live well? Um, you know, there's a lot of variables with that. Um, did the boat make a boat? I don't, you know, you don't know. Have you ever done your, um, I guess you would call it a testimonial, or have you ever done kind of any tests where, like, there are a lot of bass guys around me, smallmouth guys. They will keep the smallmouth in their live well while they're fishing, you know, not let them go immediately because they feel like it'll turn off the school, even though they're just fun fishing, quote, and they're going to let them all go at the end of the day. Um because they don't think that that, you know, that turns the, fi the fish off or whatever. Have you ever done that with walleyes or any other species to know if you keep a couple just in the live well for the sake of not trying to spook a school? Never tried that. You know, that's an interesting thought, you know. I mean, it's, uh, um, it's a possibility, you know. You throw that fish down there, it, may, it could affect the other fish. Um but I don't know. I never tried that, and, and uh, you know, it's you know it's possible. I know I, mean, I, I, know, people have, I know people that have hooked fish, like for crappies, and then they 
they uh, they hook them to a, a bobber by itself and let the fish swim back to the school so they know where the school is. That, that's an old school trick I've definitely heard of. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. There's there again, so many of these things, as you said, are testimonials and not a scientific deal. Um, we've had multiple podcasts with the telemetry guys. I don't know if you've watched any of those. You probably would be entertained by. Um, basically, they're putting little and and they used to be like CO two cartridges back in the day, and now they're like a pill. They put in these fish and they can tell you where that fish is at, the depth range because of pressure, temperature, all these different things. Um, it's really interesting stuff. One of them, even they said they have these pills that they were putting in. Um, uh, it, was, it wasn't creek jubs, but it was some type of small minnow, right? And knowing that those that was a, uh, a forage food. And when that, when that little minnow that had the little tracker in it was digested, the, something with the stomach acids would eat thing away and they would know that that had been ingested hmm. crazy stuff. And they were using it to anything from obviously seeing walleye migrations to um, like grass carp, trying to find like invasive species that they were trying to thin out and find where those things are at. Um, like I think they were calling them a Judas pill or something because they were using one to help find the rest. Kind of like you said with the bobber there, that old school trick people have done kind of low tech with super high tech, but um yeah, that telemetry thing is crazy. All of Lake Erie has receivers in it that they have like no blind spots and the rest of the Great Lakes is getting more and more. I don't remember the exact numbers, but somebody, uh, including yourself, worth checking that uh, that podcast or video out because um, crazy information. They're learning so much about these things. That's good information. You know, I mean, they've learned a lot. They tell they've learned a lot about fish migration, you know, and the DNR information is public so we can access it. Which is nice, you know. They, yeah, like yeah, the Mississippi River, they, they, you know, they figured out where they all spawn. Of course, you know where the guys go in the spring <laughs> to yeah. fish, where the where the DNR data is. So, so backing up there, you know, you didn't have anything concrete on the, on the waves. Just again, I don't even know if we need to. You just know when it's when there's waves, we can cover our tracks better, right? So it is what it is. And, but when you said like heavy current, I know me and you talking prior, you said that, you know, heavy current was a thing that you thought uh, caused fish to not spook. Is that often because with heavy current, they're going to the bottom in your opinion, or what's the thought process? I have no idea. I, I have, think a lot of it is, is that it's not quiet. You know, when you have big waves, yeah, I think it's not quiet and light penetration. Okay, so I have one testimonial, four boats, four to five feet of water, dead calm, catching walleyes over and over and over. The difference was it was a lake called Wabagoon, which has suspended clay particles in it, and you can't see down at all. And we caught lots of fish, trolley motors running, sonar running. But the water was just, you know, I mean, you know, I don't, it's really hard to find water that dark, you know, well, and, I mean, uh, and I've been on the Mississippi river with you in two to three feet of water where you can't see an yeah. inch and those fish just, you know, they've, they've adjusted, they bite like, I mean, the thing right down their throat and you're in, you know, you'd think you're in a hundred feet of water. Uh, if you had clean water, I, I would be scared if I knew how shallow we're in. And I think those fish adjust to that. And like you said, you can get away with things or the, I just wondered if it was the current because they push them down in the water column, so you create a little more of a buffer. 
I think, you know, they're probably a little, you know, on the river, they're, they're closer to the bottom than lakes, but it's not much. You know, there's not much difference between seeing a walleye really close to the bottom and one that's disappeared that you can't see. You know, those river fish are, you know, the re I believe the reason they're close to the bottom is that the current is slower when you get close to the bottom. You know, there could be other reasons. It could be that's where the food is, closer to the bottom or, you know, whatever. But um, there is a slow current area when you get next to any kind of uh, structure. It's basically like you're talking like an eddy that it creates, essentially. Kind yeah, of. or a wall, you know. If, you know, if you, uh, you know, the current is slower right next to a wall. It's because, you know, there's friction of the water against the wall and slows it down. On a lot of this, is like out the wall, off left field question, but, you know, you've spent a fair amount of time on the Great Lakes. How much difference do you think things are for the electronics and the spooking and things compared to like when you're on some of your little Minnesota lakes you live on there? I don't know. You mean how much? Say that again. Uh, well, like, like a guy like me that fishes open water on the Great Lakes primarily, and and you've done a lot of that, and you've won tournaments and been successful. I mean, I can remember our first time. I don't think it was our first time fishing together, but our first for, first time fishing together in the Great Lakes, I think, was actually on Lake Huron, on Saginaw yeah, Bay. I mean, I'll let you tell them about the trolling motor story, yeah. but. Um, you know, a guy that just is programmed like I am to do what I do, I think can go to where you live, like on your little lake that you live on, and probably not be successful because of our thought processes, you know, but yet at the same point, some of our mutual friends through the years, when I was a freaking kid, you know, traveling with you, I picked up a lot of things, you know, whether it was spinner fishing or sonar stuff. And I took that and kind of integrated it here, you know, the bead chain sinkers and all kinds of things like that. But from an electronic standpoint, you know, are there things that correlate or move from a small Minnesota lake to the Great Lakes or vice versa? I, you, because people that are listening to this right now, maybe they live on your lake, right? And they know what they know and they're fairly good fishermen and they want to be better. But they come to the Lake Erie and they're just like, they're in left field. Like they, they don't know because they're used to a certain set of standards or not adjustment basically the adjustments that you've been able to make because you traveled all over fishing where, you know, if I go back for a family reunion or a vacation in Minnesota, you know, the things that I need to be doing differently, I guess. And I know that's a very open-ended question, but. You know, I've watched that because I've been, you know, I started fishing tournaments in 86 and, you know, the uh, guys from the Dakotas would bring their bottom mounts to Minnesota <laughs> and, and uh, the Great Lakes. Um, and we'd go out there, we'd bring our, our, our slip rigs to the, uh, the reservoirs in, in, uh, in the Dakotas. Um, it's a, well, it's just, you know, you, it, you just need a mentor. That's all you need. You need somebody that can show you how to catch them different because it is different. There's different forage. Uh, the fish are different. The fish are more aggressive in the Dakotas than they are in Minnesota. You know, it's, uh, it, 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 it's different. It's like you could use artificial plastic in uh, Dakotas more than in Minnesota. You know, you can you can do all you want, and you know, it's like chub fishing. You know, or um, you can use any method you want, and I'll probably beat you with the chub. I mean, I've had guys with jigging wraps in the boat. You know, we decide that let's have a test. We know where the walleyes are. You use chubs. I use the jigging wrap. I win. 
They catch right. fish. They miss fish. I catch most of them. And while the, you know lures and things will be variables, even from one Minnesota lake that's perch-based versus another one that's this or that or first forage, that, that's all going to change a lot. Is there anything, because you're Dr. Sonar, is there anything as far as um, electronics, you know, as far as that goes that people... If you go to the Great Lakes, you got to have high-speed reading. <laughs> that's what I believe, you know. I mean, I tell people, you know, I don't know how it, exactly how you do it, but when I was there... I realized that these schools of fish, they're schools of fish. We don't have the size of schools of fish that you do. And so it's a different, it's a whole different thing. First of all, you never, never saw that. So, you know, I tell people you drive into the wind because you want to troll with the wind. You drive into the wind till you find fish and you keep going until you run out of fish. And, you know, you have a rough idea that that's the end of the school. It could be an open spot in, in, in a bigger school because your schools are so big. And then I turn around and troll through the fish. But you can't do that unless you can see fish when you're on plane. And uh, and you you could do you know and the, and your your high fish, I believe, move away from the boat. But when you drive over them and on plane, you could see them better than if you drive than if you're trolling. So those are two things that somebody from. Uh, that hasn't fished for large schools of fish on big bodies of water has no clue how to do that. And, you know, it's, uh, I guess, kind of circling back to our original conversation. Here's a little, as you would call it a testimonial, but, but not really, uh, because I've just learned, you know, you're marking fish at high speed. Let's say I'm marking them 15 feet down when I'm going over them 20 some miles an hour. We don't know where they're all at, but if I'm marking fish 15 feet down and 30, I'm probably still going to have some baits around 10 or 11 because those fish, in my mind, will either come up to it or I wasn't marking those fish that were above 15 because that cone was so small that I had to be right on his noggin, right? Like, we, yep. can, we can agree with that. Yep. But with live sonar, one thing I can tell you is, you know, having Mega Live on my front of my boat, and I've been messing with this, and point it straight forward. And originally, you know, the thought was, hey, we kind of turn this around and see which way the fish are. Because it's just like when you're in the open water, do I go a little left, a little right? Well, hey, if I can use this forward-facing sonar to see there's more fish to the left than the right, I'm going to win. You know, again, you're, you're, you're playing uh, poker and we want to count cards, right? Like we're trying to put the odds in our favor. The one thing that I've noticed is these fish are way higher in the water column than we think that they are. Kind of like I learned a long, long time ago. As a kid out here, you know, back early tournaments in, uh, let's say, early 90s when that really kind of all started, guys were catching fish four or five feet down. I mean, a lot of people don't even realize, like, the original reef runner, the, the ripstick, was the more popular bait because it ran, you know, 10 feet or less. And um, you could get it away from the boat a little farther than a deep diver. But the point is, is I've watched this with the Mega Live where when we go across these fish, I'm seeing them on my live sonar five, eight, nine, ten 10 feet down or something like that. As the boat gets close to them, a lot of times those fish don't spook to the sides. You know, some do, but the ones, at least maybe it's just because the ones I can see, they're going down in the water column. So a fish that was maybe, as an example, 10 feet down, 60, 80 feet ahead of my boat, rather he heard the trolling motor or the shadow of the boat or all of the above, when that boat goes across them, I'm still tracking that exact same fish, and he went from 10 feet down, and now he's 25 feet down in the water column. Well, that's good information. <laughs> Crazy. 
That's really, you know, I see. I I never knew that, but that makes makes sense. You know, I mean, you have. That's not just the testimonial. You're watching the fish. You know, that's data. That's good data. You know, the, the producer you, did mark that down as data. Yeah. If that's you only true. saw it three times, it's not very good data. But if you see that, you know, twenty, thirty times when you know, in front of you, that's good data because you know it. More is better. And I just wonder if that's like, you know, if you see somebody with a BB gun and you're, uh, you know, you're 20 feet away and then you get in your car and you drive 200 yards away, you feel comfortable because, you know, that BB gun ain't going to go 200 yards. And I wonder if that's that same kind of philosophy where that fish just has a comfort level at 25 feet down that, hey, that's enough of a buffer. I don't feel that I'm away from the threat, if you will, you know, but again, the thing that me and you, we, me and you have actually fished together a fair amount through the years. The amount of fish that I catch certain days on inside versus outside boards or on where I don't catch them on a flat line or even on deep water on a dipsy diver. If somebody's kind of into that, you know, you don't catch hardly anything on a zero or one setting. All the fish come on a two or three, which basically means they're farther away from the boat. You know, there's a lot of days that those fish under the boat just don't bite good. They just don't. You catch, or or at least I could say you catch a whole lot more on a, on a board or away from the boat. Yeah, I've seen that, you know, and uh, you know, so that's uh, you know, Dennis, what do you do with that? You know, you know, you 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 just keep doing the same thing and and try to, uh, you know, if that consistent day by day, you know, you just collect more data and. Uh, and then can you interpret that is that when the boat, you know, I know uh, the guy that uses live uh, live sonar that believes that when you get within 10 feet of them, they don't bite as good as when you're casting to them at 30 feet. You know, I don't I don't have enough data, but, you know, that's what he, he's noticed. He said, you know, you see the same fish and you can cast to them, but the, the ones that are farther out are more likely to bite. I've told this story before. My first time using the Mega Live was actually ice fishing before it was kind of commercially available. And I had it in down mode, which the way we still, it's for what I'm doing and guiding and stuff, it still seems more practical because I can basically see a bigger field, Mm -hmm. um, you know. And I had that set originally and I was using 25 feet on the left or the right, right? And and the thing about that is, is, is in theory, nothing's moving. So, and what I mean by that is, you know, we've got, I know that this rod jiggling on is to my left because I know that it's, it's set up uh, left to right, essentially, is what we try to do. So, as I look at the screen, I know my buddy on the left is that guy and that's the lure. And you see these fish coming in and you know that this fish is, in fact, coming from the north or the south or whatever it is. And <clears throat> the amount of stuff that you can learn, I would say that if you don't have to be a techie guy, this is kind of my closing thoughts on live sonar stuff is you don't have to even use it to fish as crazy as that sounds, but to use it to learn. So like I've learned, and I've said this before, you know, I don't know publicly how much, but I learned that when those fish on, on traditional flashers, when you're ice fishing or, or not, doesn't matter. And you see that fish start to go down a little bit. Most people think, Oh, he, he's disengaging, he's going back to the bottom because we've seen that so much. But when it's only one or two bars, what I've, I've learned through time is don't drop the lure when you're ice fishing. 
for walleyes at least, at least in the Great Lakes. Because when you drop them, they just, they're done. You don't get a second chance. And I always thought it was because you were throwing it back in their face and you're spooking them or whatever. But what I've learned through, you know, catching is, is don't do it. But what I've learned through the Mega Live is that fish is not actually necessarily going down. It's sometimes circling around to come back up. And those, a lot of those fish will actually like corkscrew and swim back up. Because that Mega Live is, is accurate enough. You can see the tail and the head on a decent sized fish. And you're watching them, and so that when people drop their rod immediately, if you don't do that, here's tip of the day, um, that fish is probably swinging back around to actually come and chase that up because ice fishing on the Great Lakes, generally speaking, those fish want that lure to keep moving up or away from them. And we can't move away from them very good left and right in the water column, but just up, right? And that's the natural thing, so huge huge deal that you can learn so much with that and then i've learned too you know using the traditional like hummingbird 2d flashers as crazy as accurate and as nice as they were going from a old school flasher you know to an lcd screen you only have so much range and the, the amount of times i've learned to switch lures because a guy was doing a or even a technique he was doing a different cadence and i watched the fish 20 feet out just stop and pause and they go away and I tell the guy to quit jigging and all of a sudden, you know, more will come in and you can learn so much about fishing with the live sonar aside from even targeting an individual fish. I, you know, with that, when you're talking about moving the bait up or down to the you know, fish, if you fish vertically for walleye, if you have a fish come up, come up and look at your bait and then goes down, you drop it. You don't catch them almost never i can't say never because there could be another fish that that, uh, that decided to bite it it rarely works it always works better to lift it another foot yeah 100 100 and but i think people's whether it's guide clients or just our way our brain is is when you see something go away you want to go back to it like you drop and and it's like you said 99 percent excuse me, 99% of the time, it's not the decision to make or the jigging technique or whatever you want to call it. But, uh, you know, it's just like an Aquaview camera. I've learned so much about fishing while not fishing with an Aquaview, but using it to see how my line is or how to work a bait. Um, I think that's the underutilized thing with the live sonar is understanding that you can use it to learn what your lure is doing or the fish is doing um, aside from just using it to individually catch a fish, if that makes sense. You know, that's the quote I heard from Tommy Chemos when he first got live sonar. He, he, he was saying that he, he didn't think it was helping catch more fish, but he was sure learning a lot about what fish, uh, learning a lot more about fish. Well, you know, just uh, I guess my last story before we ask you for the ultimate tip, so be prepared, is uh, <laughs> on, <laughs> If we don't have to cut and edit, you'll be the first one. Everybody takes six hours to think of one. But, um, you know, on the flats, and, and I think me and you actually did this one time way, way back. Um, on Erie, you know, we've got these big flats out there that are generally sand flats um, close to where the, the spawning takes place. Say anywhere from 8 to 14 feet of water in general. And they've become much more compact because they have um, zebra mussels, a lot of them, right? So that's a harder bottom. Uh, other than just the compacted sand. It's not like a malax where you're, you know, sucking into the mud type of thing. And there are times where there are thousands of boats out there. I mean, you could almost 
you couldn't drown because you could <laughs> you you could waddle from one boat to another because we have millions of fish that are in this vicinity and it's almost all males that are up there on these on these flats you know either getting ready to roll up or, or the females have left and they're hanging around, you know, eating. And with 2D sonar for, I don't know how many years, a bazillion, and you, me and you have, have taught each other and, and doing things. I tell people about the tennis ball in your pool thing all the time, where on that 2D sonar and that, let's say, 10 foot of water, we don't mark shit. And we're catching fish. I got three guys in the boat. We got two or three fish on at one time. And you look over, this boat's got two or three on. This boat's got two or three on. You know, that bewitching hour in the morning, everybody's catching. And obviously we're using, you know, for people that don't know, we're using big hair jigs generally on the bottom, like on bottom. Sometimes it's not just dragging them. And I always just thought, I was like, man, we know there's a ton of fish here. I've learned with your stuff and doing things, you know, those fish are on the bottom on 2D sonar are so difficult to see. But I put that mega live down there, and I'm going to tell you right now, and I think it's because of that cone angle, you know, as far as not marking fish that are just not directly below the boat. The amount of fish that you see that are on bottom with mega live, live sonar, in shallow water on the bottom is crazy. Like, all of a sudden, it's like it's alive. I know it's the same thing. You know, not it, it, uh, uh, you can see those fish better, you know, and... A bump on the bottom, if it's a uh, live sonar, moves. <laughs> you know, when you look at it with 2D sonar and you see a little bump on the bottom, there's nothing moving and you're trying to decide is it a rock or, you know, maybe, you know, whatever. Yeah, or and But when you use the live sonar, the fish move. They're, 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 the walleyes don't sit still. You know, if you use the aqua view, you'll you'll learn that you just never see a walleye suspended, doing nothing. They're always moving. I'm thinking I've seen two walleyes land on the bottom. Of all the time I've used aqua view. So, and I, and uh, you know the new resolution is better on the new. That's why I when I had the original um, panoptics. Um, it, it didn't have, have the resolution to do that. And all the all three brands now have that resolution, which is really nice because you see more fish, and you and it, it um, you know I've done that. I do. I you know for years I've done that too. Like I say, you know, say you got bait and you fit vertical fishing. You know, you drop if you have a jig on and you drop it, you lose the jig before it hits bottom. You, ice fishermen can do that better than anybody because they have no variables. There's, Except for maybe current, but you know they they know for years that there's a there's a dead zone where that where you don't see those fish, and uh, you know, many you know, I've done that for years. All I do is lift things up, and that helps. If you lift it up high enough and you're below the transducer, you get to see the, the fish down there. <laughs> they come up off the bottom, so fish do hide. I agree with you, and uh, and uh, it's nice to have. Uh, live sonar to, to see them better i don't people can bitch about it all they want in tournaments and this and that and I, but it's a great tool to catch fish and it's an even better tool to educate yourself i think but we could do this forever and we probably will do this one more time if you'll have us because this is round three of doing the big water podcast with old dr sonar aka bruce but uh leave us with one great tip you know we're gonna put you on the spot one thing that are people doing wrong it can be anything. We expect kind of a sonar since you are a Dr. Sonar. 
If it was not live sonar, it would be even better. It's not, it's not that they're doing wrong. Well, I guess they're doing wrong. Is We all know uh, the best place to fish is the spot on the spot. We talk about the spot on the spot, you know, that there's, you know, one fishing area. There's always some place that has more fish. And the spot on the spot is really simple. It's where you caught the fish. But you have to know where you caught the fish. And most people don't know when they have a bite where their bait is. They could be on a drop-off fishing 12 to 16 feet, and they get their bite when they're in 12 feet, but the bait's in 16 feet. And what depth did you catch them at? 12 feet. And they're not at 12 feet, they're at 16. And that's, you know, is that is that important? Yes, because sometimes the fish want to be at 16 feet, not 12 feet, or the biters, I should say. And uh, that's up. Um, or it could be the biggest boulder is where the fish was, and you don't know where that biggest boulder is. Paying attention to the details. What you told me a long time ago, you only get so many clues, so you need to listen to them. You need to listen to them. You know, that's the, you know, like I, I like to target big fish, and that's why I won a lot of tournaments is I fished big fish. A lot of times I really bombed because I didn't have many options if I didn't find big fish. Big fish are really hard to target because they're, you know, they're not on Lake Erie. <laughs> but big fish out of body waters are hard to target because there aren't many of them. So you don't have data, you know, pound and a half walleyes. We all have lots of data because we catch lots of them. So we know that they're at 12 feet or they're on sand or they're on rocks, but you catch very few 26 inch walleyes, you know, when you leave the Great Lakes. And so you don't have enough data, but it's never, I don't, well, I don't know if that's completely true, but it's almost never uh, a a lost fish. The fish is always there for a reason, and it's reproducible. That's why they call them community holes. Fish go back to certain places because it's better. And so when you, if you, I remember a tournament once, I got a nice fish, really nice fish at 25 feet. So what did I do in practice? I targeted a lot of places between 20 and 30, the same type of structure, and I really couldn't patterned. I didn't catch enough of those big fish. And during the tournament, they snuffed me at 25 feet. <laughs> I, I couldn't put it together. I had a weak, I had a weak clue. So I say when you catch one fish, it's just weak data, but it's still a weak pattern. But it's still a pattern. And if you can I, catch... I can, I, I can relate to that. I think anybody can. No, it's a... So you pay attention to it, you know, I believe in it. That's why I pay more attention to it. And I and and so I I like to record all the biggest fish, you know, the depth they are, where they're at, and you know, it become then the pattern starts to show up. Because I can't remember you know all all that stuff. You know, I mean to remember where you caught a twenty six inch fish four years ago is is a lot is tougher. I mean, what me and you are doing on a daily basis is totally different, but I get guide clients all the time. We'll catch one fish on on whatever it is, a purple something, and or maybe it's 60 feet back, and 
you know, they want, they want to, and these are guys that have their own boat, right? Not somebody that doesn't fish at all. And they want to put every lure in the boat 60 back and put purple on after one fish. And there's many, many, many days. Of course, I don't do that. And that we never catch another one at purple 60 back. I'm like, guys, like, because you can run so many lines doing what we're doing, you, you can't sell out the house there on, on just one or even two fish because it just changes so much even throughout the, the day, let alone, like you said, if it's a lost fish or just a fluke bite. Um, like your 25 foot thing. So you can get burned either way, I guess with that. And that's, I think the big difference is, is guys that are really good fishermen are just, they're making those changes quicker and picking up on those things faster, uh, just yeah. like in life and uh, in business or anything else. And that's making a big difference. But do you have another tip you'd like to give us? Cause you've been just, you know, just, I feel like you're like going to be late to the shuffleboard club <laughs> at the old park club, but <laughs> no, it's pool and golf. <laughs> pool and golf i i'm gonna pretend i didn't hear that last word i'm gonna uh, pretend i didn't hear that let's see you know um look for fish look for fish with your sonar learn how to interpret your sonar so you can drive around and find fish it's a lot more fun to fish with fish under the boat and you're going to catch more. Look for fish. You know, at the walleye school I just did, we teach them how to drive around, find the fish, and catch those fish. And when you uh, when you first start fishing, it's that's really foreign to you, you know. But that's what you need to pay attention to is you need to find fish. It may be that you have to drive along the weed line for a half mile before you decide to fish. You may have to drive over 13 humps before you decide to fish. But you're going to catch more if you stop where the fish are. Those are good words. I'm disappointed to hear that for for myself and other people, you won't be doing any more walleye schools. But we, uh, you can only do so much, right? Like you're enjoying your, I'm not going to say the G word, you're enjoying playing pool and hustling and taking the old people's money. You're now a snowbird, just so you know, you are a snowbird. Um, but uh, yeah, but that's good. You got to do something different. Yeah, you know, I'm still going to fish a lot. You know, I spent six months in Minnesota and I don't live on a lake. So and my girlfriend loves fishing. So I am going to fish a lot. And uh, um, but I just don't, you know, it's a lot of work to teach and do that. And I just, you know, sometimes you just feel you're done. Uh, you know, I'm still going to have, I have, I still sell these, these amazing maps and, uh, um, because, because, uh, I have an employee and, and, uh, he needs a job and, uh, and I make, uh, uh, some money off him. So that's a good thing. Very good. Well, I can't thank you enough for your time again. I'm sure we'll we'll have some reason to do another one of these. But uh, if you haven't uh, watched some of the other stuff we've done with uh, Bruce, a.k.a. Dr. Sonar, the videos he's doing or some of the stuff we've done with him, you are missing out because we have a wealth of knowledge there. And uh, until the next episode, Bruce, I look forward to our, our crazy talks that we have um, about minnows and everything else. And well, especially we didn't this talk about some of the things with minnows, though. We missed one part. Well, remember, oh, oh. remember I, I said, you know, if you find a place where you get minnows, you don't share it with anybody. Because even, 
Yeah, well, you know, you, you know, you get divorced. Even, wife, and sometimes you get divorced by friends, and they may burn you by telling everybody where that spot is. You don't share blueberry patches, and you don't share morale mushrooms. With you know, you have to be careful. On that note, we are definitely out. Producer dude, help me when I'm falling here. Bigwaterfishing.com. Our podcast is on YouTube. You watch the video, see Bruce right here with his nice Santa Claus beard. Or you can listen on Spotify, Amazon, Apple, Stitcher. I mean. All of them. Yeah. All of them. If you can't find us, you're not looking very hard. You can't. Yeah, you have some issues if you can't find. You it. you can't find fish if you can't find our podcast. That's basically what we're saying. <laughs> we've we've got some links on the bigwaterfishing.com site too, and you can see some of those videos. Producer dudes putting videos up every week on our YouTube channel, which is also Big Water Fishing. Again, the people that send us emails and say we can't find your stuff, I know why you suck at finding fish because if you can't find us with the hashtag there, Big Water Fishing, you ain't doing it right. So appreciate you, Bruce, and appreciate everybody tuning in. Until the next episode. We're out.